Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Lamentations 4. How the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold becomes dull. The sacred gems are scattered at every street corner. How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer their breasts to nurse their young, but my people have become heartless, like ostriches in the desert. Because of thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth. The children beg for bread, but no one gives it to them. Those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those brought up in royal purple now lie on ash heaps. The punishment of my people is greater than that of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment without a hand turned to help her. Their princes were brighter than snow and whiter than milk, their bodies more ruddy than rubies their appearance like lapis lazuli. But now they are blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as a stick. Those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of famine. Racked with hunger, they waste away for lack of food from the field. With their own compassionate hands, women have cooked their own children who became their food when my people were destroyed. The Lord has given full vent to his wrath. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed her foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the peoples of the world, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. But it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Now they grope through the streets as if they are blind. They are so defiled with blood that no one dares to touch their garments. Go away, you are unclean, people cry to them. Away, away, don't touch us. When they flee and wander about, people among the nations say they can stay here no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He no longer watches over them. The priests are shown no honor, the elders no favor. Moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help. For our towers we watched, for a nation that could not save us. People stalked us at every step, so we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near, our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than eagles in the sky. They chased us over the mountains and lay in wait for us in the desert. The Lord's anointed, our very life breath, was caught in their traps. We thought that under his shadow, we would live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, daughter Edom, you who lived in the land of us. But to you also the cup will be passed. You will be drunk and stripped naked. Your punishment will end, daughter Zion. 
he will not prolong your exile, but he will punish your sin, daughter Edom, and expose your wickedness. This is the word of the, this is the word of the Lord. As we read this passage this week, um, we see this transition from a core and a focus of hope in chapter three to a very direct um, description of the conditions within the walls of Jerusalem during the siege of the Babylonians. And while we read that, you might see some very alarming or hear some very alarming things. You might get a visual picture of things that are very discouraging. But certainly the thing to note in all of this is that the lamenter once again is expressing the heart, the focus, the anger, the anguish, the discouragement that the city and the nation of Israel has walked through. Perhaps you've been in a siege before or a standoff of sorts before where you have looked eye to eye with someone else or something else or some other situation even in your life and as a result of it, there has been a standoff moment. There has been a who's going to flinch first moment. There's going to be who's going to move first moment. Probably most of us have been in a situation where you're walking maybe in a, a narrow hallway and you come to somebody else and you go to the side. At the same time, they go to the same side. And then you kind of do this back and forth dance, right? Two or three times until somebody realizes this is going to go on forever unless I stop. There's been standoffs that are in our, in our world that, are, um, that, are, that have world impacts, that may, may be from a war, may, may be uh, specifically from a situation that, that uh, is beyond measure, beyond imagination. Maybe you've got standoffs in your own life. Maybe there's one you've had that you can think of with, uh, with a child. Maybe as an aunt or an uncle, you're watching a niece or nephew, and that moment comes where they look at you like, are you going to be the cool uncle that lets me get away with this? Or are you going to tell me no and take the marker out of my hand? I can remember specifically the first house that, that Shri and I uh, bought and, and lived in. And it was a ranch home. It had a, 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 um, a three seasons or a, maybe a two seasons room on the back of it because it got cold often while, when we lived there. And this room was not temperature controlled, but it was a, a nice room. And so uh, the, the thing that we noticed specifically in the winter seasons is it also attracted wildlife, particularly little uh, little creatures that would come in that are usually depicted to like cheese. And so these creatures came in and one of the things that we found throughout the time of the winter was that they would get into these standoffs with us where they would come and they would sit in a place maybe on, on the back of a piece of furniture or on the windowsill even and they would look at us like, are you going to come out here and do something about me being in this place? Are you going to come out here? Are you going to open the door and get cold and have to come out here and deal with us? And I remember specifically this, this kind of siege that would go on where we'd have this standoff where we would look at them and we'd think, are we going to try to do something here? And I, I tried to fill every hole. We tried to put traps out there and all the different things and somehow they found a way to evade anything that we did. 
And as I look specifically within the context of what it means to be in a siege or be in a situation where there are two specific parties, there is a party that is, uh, in this case, specifically trapped inside. There's a, there's a party that's on the outside that is, that is the aggressor, but only the aggressor by presence alone. I recognize in this situation, specifically in the, the life of the lamenter, that there has been a great tragedy for them. To explain the siege a moment, uh, I'll just say this, that the city uh, was, was surrounded by walls, and these walls were intended to be used to protect those within from any attackers that might come. And the attackers, they would, they, they would come and they would see the walls were tall and they would attempt to try to breach the walls and they would be killed attempting to try to do so. But in this case specifically, Babylon and aided by Edom, which we read about in this passage, we recognize Babylon came and instead of a trying to destroy the city, what they did instead was they just camped around the outside of the city. They camped out there and they ate the crops of the, the, the Israelites who lived within. They sat outside and they just waited for the city to crumble from within. For they couldn't leave. They couldn't go outside the city because if they did, they would be surely killed. They couldn't go out to, to try to retrieve any crops. Instead, what they did is they stayed inside. And what we read about was how they bit one another. They, 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 they destroyed each other, where they, they starved to death, where they, where they died. And, and even in their deaths, there was no burials. There was no, there was no cleanliness in, in all of it. In all aspects, simply it just became a place where death became the king. And the Babylonians just sat outside, just waiting for the day when they would crumble and they could just easily come in and take everything over. You see, it was a test of wills, and this test lasted. Jerusalem was under siege for two years. Two years of discouragement, two years of despair. Life became harsh, including even, in, in, as we read, including cannibalism, including the fact that people were, were, were dying and they were just lying, their dead bodies were just lying in the streets. Death became commonplace and all hope was literally gone. And here we recognize the fact that in scripture and all aspects in the universal principles that we see that there is something to draw from this because you and I recognize that there are probably in times in our life where we have been in a siege moment where everything around us seems to be set against us. Where, where, we, where we're inside the walls, our spirit is within the walls, and there's an attack all around us. We recognize this perhaps in our country, the fact that the church is countercultural. We recognize the fact that the world was created perfect. If you read about the creation of the world, the world was created perfect. Not something that we see anymore. Perhaps you've been in a place, or you're in a place now where you're, you're experiencing this type of discouragement. Where the things around you, the result of the siege around you has brought a, a sense or a lack of hope in your life. Where things have gone from bad to worse. From perfect to And here we recognize the fact that in this lament, within the context of this book, once again, that God has brought forth the opportunity to reveal truth and hope to the people who need nothing else but hope. In this series, we've been walking through this opportunity to recognize the dissonance of pain and the suffering and loss, the loneliness that comes with it, and the opportunity we have to experience the heart of God, to experience the goodness of God in the midst of or as response to the issues that we walk through. In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 through 24, the core for this whole series, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. 
I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait on him. You see, we can experience, church, this hope because God is present in the siege. If you are in a personal siege right now, if your family is under attack, under a siege, if, if, if you just recognize the context of the world to which we live, being within a, in the siege as a believer in Jesus, let me just tell you, you, we can have hope because God is present in You see, I think the biggest struggle that Israel had is they forgot the fact that God was present with them in that moment. While things around them were discouraging and and, and everything around them seemed like it was going to be dark and, and, and all the things were stacked against them, God was still present in the siege. And so this lamenter looks at the contrast of the past and the things, the blessing that they, they experience at the same time looks within the context of the present, the difficulties that they walk through. And certainly this contrast is not something that's too far out of reach for us. We recognize this. We see this. But in short, the, the way that the world was created perfect and what they experienced at that time and what we experience now being far from it, we see that they are once again under the judgment of God. They are under the judgment of God, not because of the fact that he's a cruel God or he's a God that likes to see people struggle. They're under the judgment of God because of the fact that they have stepped outside of the covenant that they embraced, that they took on with the creator of the world. And so how did they get here? How do we get here, so to speak? It's because they lacked three specific things that caused this judgment. The first one we see in verse 13 through 15. And I'm going to read this. It says, It happened because of their sins, because of the sins of her prophets, the iniquities of her priests, who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Now they groped the streets, and they, and they were, and they were blind. if they were blind, they were so defiled with blood, and they were so dared to touch their garments. Go away, you are unclean. And so we see these two things here that are closely related. First, the leadership had, had stepped away from the truth. They were unclean. At the same time, this uncleanliness brought forth a separation between God and his people. And so they were unfit to enter the temple to worship God and to be before God. There was, there was a difficult truth there, and that was that the truth had shifted from what was real to what was subjective, what was desired, what, was, what could be considered the truth of the day. And I'll put quotation marks on either side of that. If you're listening to our podcast, I put quotation marks on that truth. And the reality is this, the first point is this, the first thing that was missing was truth, and those who know the truth must teach it and live it. If not... If we don't know the truth, if we don't teach the truth, if we don't live the truth, then we will be lost. And there's two things to say about this. The first one, for good measure, let me just say this first and foremost, the truth doesn't change. Truth does not change. It doesn't change with the times. It's not cool and hip and it just goes ahead, goes with the flow of what people believe or what culture might teach. Truth does not change. It doesn't change. We don't get to make up our own rules. Just like when we, when we were born into this world, we don't get to make up the rules of gravity. We don't get to make up the rules of the, of the environmental elements that are necessary for us to have life. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you don't get to make up the rules on what you believe. 
In fact, when you step into this covenant with God of, of receiving his salvation, when we step into this and embrace this, this relationship with the Lord and Savior of all, when we do this, we don't decide, God, here are the truths that I'm going to follow and here are the truths I'm not going to. No, when we embrace this, we take on the fact that he is the truth giver, he is the truth generator, and we are the ones who live that out. The second thing about this is interesting. God calls us to know, teach, and live out the truth. So while we know it and we understand it, he also calls us to live differently as a result of it. He calls us to live lives, not just salvation lives, where we, where we grab onto this salvation, we allow God into our life, and we live differently or, and we embrace him, but he calls us to live differently as a result of it meaning that we live as disciples, we live as individuals who step forward. The greatest testimony we can have in our lives is our life itself, and God calls us to live in the classroom, in the workplace, in the home, in every environment we find ourselves as a follower of Jesus. In fact, that's part of our DNA as the church and as this church. It's about stepping out and being his hands and feet in whatever context we find ourselves in. Certainly we have opportunities here as a church to do activities and events and different things and, and exciting opportunities here. But the biggest call that God has on your life and on my life is to take the word that he's given us, an opportunity to embrace time together in this large setting as a, or in a small group and all these things, and to go and live differently. You see, God calls us to, to, to embrace his truth, but he also calls us to be truth givers to others. In fact, if you, if you recognize even the way that Christ did this, he, he, he sent out his apostles. He then sent out the 72. Yeah, he had opportunity for people to come and to embrace his preaching and his miracles and events, so to speak, but he also led and called people to go out into their world to make a difference. You see, being a believer, being a follower of Jesus comes with the, the blessing, but also the responsibility to share what God has done in our life with others. And so when we embrace this truth, we do so by living differently, but we also do so by being those who give. You know, we're, we're embracing, some of you have already skipped the holiday that's coming up next week and, and already decorated and you're ready to go, but part of it is embracing this gift that we give. That's what Christmas is, is, em, is embracing the gift, the greatest gift we've ever received, which is Jesus, and then being able to in turn give that gift as well. And so if you know the truth, live it. Speak it. Embrace it. The second point and the second thing that we, we look at comes from verse 17. It says, Moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help. From our towers we watched for a nation that could not save us. If you're to take a deeper dive into this verse, you'll recognize the fact that historically there were neighbors that would come to each other's aid. And, and in a certain way, that was a good thing. But it also had kind of a selfish indulgence, which meant this, that if a nation on the hill next to me down the road were to be taken over, I might be next. Or if the nation down the road is taken over and I don't, don't go help them, they're probably not going to help me when I'm in distress. And so right here in this specific verse, the lamenter is, re is reflecting upon the fact that they had called out to another nation. They had called out to Egypt. Which if you know anything about the history of the Israelite people, they had kind of a run-in with Egypt for a couple of centuries, right? 
They had this issue with Egypt where they were in bondage. And for whatever reason, in their time of need, once again, instead of saying, God, please come, please bring forth your truth, bring forth your strength. Instead, what they did is they turned towards a rival nation who at one point had enslaved them and said, please come rescue us. Can I just ask you for a second, what do you think might have happened had Egypt come and rescued Israel? Well, yeah, so they, they would have probably in all have been brought back into slavery once again. They would have been in debt to this nation once again. And in fact, as Judah was asking for Egypt to come, the Babylonian army continued this siege. They didn't show up. And, and, the, and the response, the result was this, this understanding that what God is attempting to try to teach us is, look, you're going to have a dependence. You're going to, you have a need in all aspects for strength and for hope. And it's not going to be in a rival nation. It's not going to be in another. It's not going to be in anything of this created world, but it's only going to be in God. And so the second thing that they lacked that brought forth this judgment was dependence. The desire of God to be our source of strength and hope. And we talked about hope a little bit last week and the, and the reality that hope can only come from an eternal God, can only come from the creator God of all things, not from anything created in this world. But strength at the same time is an interesting thing because strength ultimately or, or often comes as a result of the hope that we can have in God. If you're dependent on anything other than God, then your strength is going to be shaky. And you're ushering in the manipulation of the evil one. And certainly the future, uh, the, the, the decisions we make now have, have futures on our life. Dependence is defined like this. The state of relying on or being controlled by someone or else. Relying upon or being controlled by. You know, it's interesting to think about this idea of relationship and what it means to be entitled does this. Here's a quote. It says, Satan disguises submission to himself under the ruse of personal autonomy. He never his servants. Never once did the serpent say to Eve, I want to be your master. The shift in commitment is never from Christ to evil. It is always from Christ to self. And instead of his will, self-interest now rules and what I want reigns. And that is the essence of sin. And so what we see here for the Israelite people and also an implication for us as Jesus is Satan is not out to try to get us to give our allegiance to him. He just wants us to give our allegiance to something else, namely ourself. And oftentimes, even in, in, a, in, a, in a room this size, oftentimes what happens is we find ourselves in a place where dependence doesn't belong to God. Instead, dependence belongs to self. Well, I can do this. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can be self-dependent, self-reliant. You know, verse 20, it talks about this, this King Zedekiah following false prophets and, and the fact that God's true prophet, Jeremiah, is, is attempting to try to bring forth the truth. And the sad part specifically is this embrace of saying, okay, I'm going to call out to, a, uh, to the false people. I'm going to allow the false people to have some kind of reign in my life rather than recognizing the, the, the reflection, the fact that God empowered this one prophet to bring the truth. John chapter 15 reads like this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does part from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. 
You see, the recognition here is that vine's going to be connected to something or connected to nothing. Self-reliance is, is simply a, a vine that's connected to nothing. A vine connected to something else is simply a, a vine attached to, to something other than God. And the reality is this, that we all worship something or someone. In fact, Christ knew that. That's why he was quoted by John to express this. He recognized the waywardness of humanity and the way that the serpent will work. Pastor Ray, uh, actually I was having a conversation with this, him this past week. And we were talking about the context of discipleship and worship and what that looks like. And he stated this, Every, everything we do is worship. We worship every moment of our lives. The only question is, what or who are we worshiping? Everything you do. Every, every, every conversation you have, every, every moment that you spend, every, 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 every opportunity you have to embrace a thought, a word, or a deed is worship. And the question is, when you embrace it, who or what are you worshiping? And then it gets to the end of this lament in verse 21 and 22 and talks about this nation Edom. And here the fact that Edom is not only, uh, not only not helping out Israel, but they are literally helping Babylon with the siege. And you'd think, well, why does that matter? Well, here's why it matters most. Because Edom, in effect, is actually, uh, through a, a relative, is the kin of Judah. Which means that they are family. They are supposed to be embracing those who are within the walls, helping those who are within the walls, engaging in opportunity. Instead, in a sense, they're operating as the enemy. And so here we see that family has turned on each other. And Satan knows this, probably just like you have recognized this before, that Satan can win or does win often when he separates relationship, particularly family, or in this context, the family of God. And so the third thing that they neglected that brought forth the judgment of God was they neglected unity. And the reality and the call of God is this. Relationships within the family of God should reflect the relationship of the triune God. And what that means is we should reflect the goodness and the embrace of the, of the God that, that we worship ourselves. God the Father, uh, the Creator, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit, the one who dwells among us and within us today. And so as we see that relationship, we see each one encouraging and embracing a depth of relationship that is self-sacrificing, that, self that is full of hope, that is full of love. To define unity, it says the state of being united or joined as a whole. When we see the Trinity in and of itself, we recognize the fact that God is bringing not just a, a, a full, whole picture of himself in unity. He's bringing forth a template for us to follow as his church, as his body, as the family, the bride of Christ. And so we recognize the fact that we see this judgment take place. We note that in all of it, there's a bottom line understanding of where it all goes. Right? We, we recognize the fact that there was this dependency in the wrong place. We see the fact that in, in the midst of all of it, that there was a lack of truth. And in so doing, they also suffered a disunity. So the bottom line in, in all of it is, is interesting, but it's a summary of sorts. It's a summary of sorts because it brings us to a place where we respond, not just by saying, okay, here's the context, here's the text that we read, here's the example of how things went wrong, but what do we do with it? There's a warning here to help us recognize the result of breaking God's covenant, the covenant that he has with us, which is different than what he had with the people of Israel. 
We recognize the fact that there's a covenant, this gift of salvation that God gives himself freely to us. And not just doing so to say, okay, here's your get out of jail free card, but instead saying, I would like to have a, a deep relationship with you, a life that is filled with discipleship where you grow and you are led and you become more like and embrace the goodness of a holy God. And in so doing, you do so with the, res with the respect and the response of knowing that there is a truth. There is one truth. There's one absolute truth in this world. And with that absolute truth, we recognize the fact that there is a dependency in the God that we serve, the God who has created us, the God who dwells among us, the God who died for us, while doing so in community with God's church. You know, it's sad to me to, to see what's taking place in other denominations within the context of, of this country and around the world. The splits that are happening because of a, a lack of reliance upon the truth. And so the heart that I have, just like we, we all should have, uh, and, I, and as I suspect this, is that we want to see unity within the context of the church on the things that matter most, which is his truth. And so the bottom line is this, God's call to his people is to live in his truth. Not just to know it, not just to read about it, but to live in it. To be fully dependent upon his strength, to draw all of our strength from the creator of the world. And to dwell in community with his family. Not to be isolated off on our own, but to dwell in community with his family. You know, as I thought about how this has been illustrated and emulated in my life and the lives of people that I've seen or the people that I've been around, I couldn't help but recognize, I looked at Christian history and I, and I couldn't help but recognize as I looked at Scripture that there is one very primary example of what it means to live within the siege but to still embrace God's truth, His strength, His hope, and the community. Romans chapter 16, I'm going to read a few verses to you, Hill illustrates a, a narrative about Paul and Silas, two of God's disciples. This is one of the, the New Testament books, and it specifically details, specifically in this passage, the, the siege that took place in the Apostle Paul's life and disciple Silas's life as they attempted to try to live out the truth. As they attempted to try to be dependent upon God, as they attempted to try to be unified together. In chapter, Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 16, it reads like this. Once, when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by, by fortune-telling, and she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days, and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas and magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods and they were to be severely flogged. They were thrown into prison. The jailers were commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so here we see the siege has come in around them. All people have turned on them. All they did at that point was rely upon God and his strength and to live in his truth. 
And we see that Paul and Silas are in this together. They're unified together. And about midnight, verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You don't get to choose what happens to you, but get to get, you get to choose how you respond to it. And the other prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought his prisoners had escaped. And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke and the word of the Lord uh, and the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You see, we recognize the fact that there was a, a difficult plight. There were difficult consequences for standing up for the truth, for living it out. There was a difficult consequence for them being unified and stepping forward and gaining their strength in God rather than in the things of the world that were around them. But the joy that came from it, the eternal transformation that was a response. Certainly in life, we're not always going to have a happy fairy tale ending. And I'm sure if you read more about the, 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 the response that took place and the, the eventual life uh, that, that Paul and Silas and many of the disciples led, you would recognize what took place and what ending they all received. But within that, we recognize that we don't do it for a temporal response or a collection of things of this created world. We're on mission for an eternal reasons. We're on mission for the kingdom of all. We're on mission because we recognize that God has given us the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive. And as a response to receiving that gift, we can't keep it to ourselves. And so church, I'm going to just take a moment, and certainly I'm sure there's a couple of different responses here. I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to pray. But before I do, I want you to search your heart and allow the Spirit to speak to you. If today you are walking through a siege, on one end, if you're walking through a siege, a difficult time where you're under attack, where you're in a place of difficulty, where there are, seems like the walls are tall and they're closed around you and the enemy is at the gate and he is ready to pounce at your weakest point, I want to encourage you now to, 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 to just step into him in hope to be dependent upon the Lord, to embrace his truth among all else, and to live in unity, to reach out to your brothers and sisters in Christ. On the other end, perhaps you're not in a siege. Right now you're in a, in a time of, of, of excitement and maybe things are around you are going well. Maybe the, the call for you today is to step forward and to be that truth giver, to be that one that steps in on behalf and strength and in, 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 uh, in, in love for your brothers and sisters as they embrace a moment or a season of being in the siege. And that could look like a conversation that might just look like the greatest tool that we have, which is prayer. And so I'm going to ask you to do this as we pray. If you are interested in, in, in any way of, of embracing the Spirit today, if God is calling you to step forward, or you just want to say, God, I don't know exactly what you have for me today, but I know that you are calling and I want to say yes. If you just want to raise a hand or stand up as I pray,
as the Spirit will hear you and reflect upon it. If you need hope today, or if you want to be a hope giver, a, a light giver, just stand. Allow the Spirit to see you and, your, and, and allow this church to see you as we embrace this moment together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now in this moment. And we recognize, God, that you are not done yet. Thank you, Father, for the way that you have moved through the years, for the way that you've created this world and not given up on it. God, you are the, the one who makes all things new. And God, you are doing that now, every single moment of every single day. God, you are moving, you are leading, you are guiding. And Father, we ask you once again to help us to be affirmed in your truth, to step forward in, in dependence of you, and God, to be unified as your church. God, we thank you for the covenant that you have called us into. We ask, God, that you would help us both to be encouraged and hope as a result of who you are and what you do, and at the same time to step forward and be that encouragement for others as well. God, as I, as I express this opportunity, Father, for the church to recognize the movement of your spirit, I ask, Father, that you would just pour yourself into each one of us. That, God, for those that don't know you, maybe this is a time to respond. Those that do know you, maybe this is a time of encouragement. Whatever it might be, Father, I pray that you would move, and you would lead, and you would guide. We thank you, Father, for the, all that you have done. Thank you, Father, for your provision, not just the things of life, but your provision of, of your salvation, your transformation, the giving, the, the, the reception of your truth. Thank you, Father, for all you do. May we experience you in the siege. In your son's precious name that we, that we pray. Amen. Once again, Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. Go this week with that on your heart. Go this week recognizing the hope that, that, that God gives is simply right there for you to embrace. Go with God, he'll go with you. God bless you. You're sent out. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.